Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Kat Sadler, and it sure is a beautiful day. After such a bleak year, it's time for some joy. And I cannot wait for you to hear my fresh and fun new show, I crack open about mom life, relationships, wellness, and beauty, all the things. Plus, I have provocative conversations with some of the most fascinating and famous faces in pop culture. I'm here to lift you up and make you think. Check out It Sure Is a Beautiful Day with me and you every Tuesday. Hey, everyone. I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rule book and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman. From hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more, whether you are pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Are you ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. The travel industry has evolved a lot over the years, and while travel agents and direct-to-consumer booking sites have made the planning process sufficient and cost-effective, there's still room for improvement. With countless options available at our fingertips, planning and organizing travel plans can be overwhelming and unpersonalized, to say the least. Today's guests, Jan Seal and Kobe Casting, co-founded Out of Office to serve as an anecdote to the chaos of travel planning. After years of planning trips via Google spreadsheets and shared iPhone notes, Jan and Kobe had enough bad experiences to solidify their need for the all-in-one travel app. So when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, they knew there would never be a better time to build out of office. With travel halted, flights canceled, stores closed, and quarantine in place, they knew the world and tourism industry would be booming at the first chance to get back out again. Fast forward to today, Out of Office is a five-star travel tool with over 250,000 recommendations across 10,000 cities and counting. The new and buzzworthy travel app gives you personalized recommendations from your inner circle so you can always have the inside scoop, making it possible for you to experience travel that has been inspired by your favorite influencers as well as your network of family and friends. So on today's episode of Work Party, Jen and Kobe are sharing their insight on the future of personalized travel, entrepreneurship, app building in web three and the creator economy. So let's get back into it. So excited to have you guys on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Thank you so much for having us. 
Yeah. So let's start at the beginning. So you both have such interesting backgrounds that don't seem like a linear route to where you are now. Jan, with you starting your career in financial planning and merchandising for Gap and leadership at Trunk Club. And Kobe working in television production at Warner Brothers and then serving as the VP of sales at Trunk Club. Obviously, you guys met at Trunk Club and were able to kind of create this amazing relationship. But can you walk us through the early days of your career and what it was like to sort of meet someone that was like-minded at a job and then go off on your own? Yeah, absolutely. I can kick us off. My career, yeah, it's, it's been a little all over the place. Although the last 10 or 12 years I've been in consumer technology startups. And so I started my career in film and television. I thought that's what I wanted to do. And then I ended up working in sort of like daytime television as a TV producer. And after a number of years, I just realized I wasn't passionate. I wasn't fulfilled. And I kind of looked up and said, okay, I don't want my boss's job or my boss's boss's job. And that was a bit of a red flag to me. And so I joined Trunk Club, which was a very early stage startup that sort of pioneered the subscription box, you know, try before you buy model. And I joined Trunk Club about a month after Jan, and that's where we met. And we we both stayed there for seven years. And then I, I went to a company called Cameo, but really over the last 11 years, I've been in consumer tech. Yeah. Jan, what about you? Yeah. My career has probably been a little more linear, but on the consumer side, didn't know I'd end up in travel, which is obviously really exciting. But, you know, I spent the first six and a half years of my career at The Gap. Really interesting kind of place to start a career. They teach you a lot. They give you really big businesses to run at a really young age. So I'd say it really kind of kicked off my entrepreneurial spirit. I was there, like I said, six and a half years. I had met the founder, Brian Bailey of Trunk Club at a bar in San Francisco as I was considering going to business school and instead packed up, quit my job, packed up my life and moved to Chicago, joined Trunk Club and was there kind of through every stage of that business and really kind of solidified what it meant to build a startup from really the beginning, from the idea all the way through kind of the rapid growth and then our acquisition by Nordstrom in 2014 and then subsequent scale. So got an end-to-end experience of what it was like, good, bad, ugly to build a startup. And then from there, like you kind of mentioned, Kobe and I actually had the idea for Out of Office way back at Trunk Club, made it out of office, realized let's pump the brakes for a second and make sure this is what we want to go do next after we ran really hard at Trunk Club for almost seven years. Then I went and while Kobe went to Cameo, I went and joined a company called Havenly on their executive team. And Really glad that that is what I went to next as well. Learned from a really amazing group of women. Got to learn a totally different side of the business they hadn't had a ton of experience in before. And then, as you mentioned, March of 2020 hit and Kobe and I looked at each other and said, let's go build the company that we wanted to build. I love it so much. I think it's so awesome that you, you know, to your point, had an end-to-end startup experience that you were able to learn, you know, frankly, on someone else's <laughs> dime and someone else's company of like, the good, the bad, the ugly, what worked, what didn't work, and then be able to take that information, go out and do it yourself and still yeah. want to do it yourself, I guess I should say. So that's really exciting. But so Kobe, can you explain what Out of Office is for someone who's never heard of it before and what you think differentiates this platform from the rest? So Out of Office is a platform where you can get personalized recommendations from people you actually know. And so we, Jim and I love to travel. We travel all the time, often together. And we spent so much time previously trying to get recommendations from friends or influencers and trying to aggregate those those recommendations and then trying to sort them and plan 
we've essentially built a platform with Out of Office that allows you to follow friends, see their recommendations, friends, influencers, people you know, and then start to plan travel. So whether you're going on a trip and you want to plan it by day, and then ultimately book. Right now we have a partnership with Open Table, so you can book restaurant re- reservations, and in the future you'll be able to book all travel through one platform. But it's really predicated on this notion that your network matters and the recommendations from your network matter. And so we want to make it very easy for you to access those recommendations, save them, and then ultimately act on them. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's so true. Everyone's trying to figure out how to piece together their perfect trip. There's so much information out there on so many different platforms to be able to kind of streamline that into one makes a lot of sense. And obviously the creator economy plays a big role in this as well. Like we see influencer trips on social media and all of a sudden we're like diving in to try and find out where they are, where they're taking photos, like how can we go there? And then sometimes those places end up going viral. So Jan, what other impacts do you think the creator economy has on the travel industry? And like, how are you guys creating features to support creators? Yeah, I think we've always from the very beginning, and I think borrowing this a lot from Kobe's experience at Cameo, realized that people want recommendations from people that matter to them. And that's obviously their friends and family, but also influencers and creators that feel personal to them. And what we found was like, there's places like an Instagram, there's a place like a Pinterest, there's all these places that were getting inundated with content. It wasn't just travel. It was, what are you buying? Where are you going? What are you doing? And it felt really noisy and messy. And so we said, like, let's actually create a platform that makes it easier both for someone who's following an influencer as well as someone who is an influencer to able to say, I don't have to answer a thousand DMs every single day. Every time I go somewhere, where did you go last week? That story disappeared in 24 hours. All of a sudden you have a platform that says everything that I do around travel, everything I do around where I'm going to dinner in my own city, that all lives in out of office. And we can actually support it. And so they have a place to send all of their followers in a really non-competitive way. They're not asking them to spend anything on out of office. They're not asking them to buy a thing or, or to get commission off of something. It's just a place for them to consume your content. And it was important for us for that to be actionable as well. And so I'd say the creator economy is totally changing every single day. And it's growing and growing. If you guys know anything about travel TikTok, it is out of control. There's people traveling all over. And we want to make it easier to get that content make it easier for you to interact with it and then easier for you to be able to plan that trip and actually go somewhere based on something that you saw someone do that looked exciting to you. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously you guys built this in 2020 and the ramp up on travel, you know, two years later is insane. So what are some of the travel trends that you've seen post COVID the most? Yeah, I think people are definitely traveling more, right? You can work from anywhere, not everyone, but a lot of people have more flexibility in their jobs and they can travel more and they can take more frequent trips. I think, you know, it's been interesting to see what our users are doing. It's it's this really good mix between taking that like epic trip to Europe that they wanted to take. And now after two years of not traveling, they're like, you know what? I'm taking the trip. I'm going to Europe. I don't care. So that like once in a lifetime trip is definitely more prevalent. But there's also a lot more sort of domestic weekend travel, whether it's a road trip nearby, maybe a weekend in New York, but just, you know, travel that's probably a little less expensive, but but something you can do more frequently. Yeah. So you're seeing more travel more frequently. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. No, I think that makes all sense. I was just going to add, I think if you just like look at travel stats in general, when we started this business, you know, we were looking at like, what's our market size? What's the TAM? And like, 
how much of it can we own? How often do people have to travel for us to make this a viable business? And it's incredible because obviously the pandemic hit and a lot of people were really skeptical. They're like, well, no one's traveling. I don't know what's going to happen. And you come out of, uh, you come out of kind of COVID and what you realize is that people are not only traveling the same amount that they were before, they're traveling almost twice as much and they're spending over twice as much on travel because they realize what it felt like to be locked up inside of their homes for two years and not being able to travel. And all of a sudden people are saying, I'm going, I don't really care if I'm going to eat ramen for three weeks, but I am going to Italy. Like Kobe mentioned, I am going on that big trip or I'm going to go to New York for the weekend with my girlfriends and just enjoy myself. Yeah. So I totally agree. And I've definitely been seeing that myself. I think Getting back to a little bit of the creator economy, like one of the effects that we've seen is people sort of like overrunning destinations, right? Because of influencers. So you've seen a lot of this happen with Hawaii. As one example, I've been seeing a lot of people posting in Santorini, like, you know, that kind of TikTok where it's like, it's not as great as it looks. A thousand people trying to take a photo. Have you guys thought about, you know, kind of these secret spots? Are there ways that you're sort of incorporating in maybe sustainability or that type of messaging within the travel community at all? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think what's important for us and important for out of office is that out of office is personal to who you are as a traveler. And we recognize that everyone travels differently. You travel differently at different points in your life. There's times you travel with your girlfriends, with your kids and your husband, or just by yourself. And so we want to be able to meet people at their point in travel. And so I think a big part of this is making sure that we're suggesting destinations and that our users are suggesting destinations that are actually that they want to go to. And so we avoid a little bit of that kind of travel fatigue of like, I'm in Santorini and there's a thousand people trying to see the sunset. I've been there and I've been, I've seen that happen. And like, I would tell someone go to Santorini, but go in the off season because you don't want to be inundated with forest. Mm-hmm. You should go to Sicily instead for the weekend. And so those are the kind of recommendations that you can get in out of office that kind of pull you away from what's the mainstream places that everyone's going that you're going to feel like are tourist traps versus like what are the places that you'll actually enjoy. And so that's kind of the really nice part of our business and how we thought about content and places that we're recommending. And then you had another part of your question, which I think centered around kind of like what what does it look like from a sustainability standpoint? We want to be able to offer those things to people. We want to be able to offer the best places to go when you're solo traveling. What are the best places to go that don't use plastic, right? There's all these things that happen at hotels and they happen on a small scale that aren't widely communicated. But because Kobe went to this place and she knows that and she can post about that, we can highlight that and suggest that to you if we know that's the type of traveler you are. Yeah, I love it because it's essentially getting the insider information, not just like go- seeing something on Instagram going and hoping for the best. It's like you're actually getting those inside tips, which really make for the best trips, to be honest, because you have that info. So obviously you've built this company, but you it's essentially an app that you've built as well, which can be extremely challenging and tricky in a digital world. So tell us a little bit about the process of building the app. You know, did you outsource this, you know, to a, to a firm? What were some of the biggest challenges you faced in developing this? And for someone who's ever launched an app, but maybe is looking to, can you give us a little step-by-step breakdown of like the process of getting to where you've gotten? Yeah, I think it's a great question because if, you know, before we started out of office, I think, you know, I, I had this like yearning to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur before in my life. And I think I always sort of got stuck. I'm like, okay, how do you even start? Like, what is it that you do to start a company? And you know, I think luckily, you know, we have great mentors and we've obviously been at companies where we've built and been there very early on. So we've been able to, you know, see what building those like early building years are like. But I think this this was definitely different for both of us, right? We're not technical. We're not engineers. We've never built 
an app ourselves before. And so I think, you know, we started out by, well, first aligning on what the vision was and, you know, getting really clear on, okay, what is it we're building? What is it we're solving? And what will it look like? And once we were sort of solid on that, then we started sort of socializing it and realized, okay, we need someone who can actually come in and help us build. And we were really lucky to find an amazing CTO and a head of product ended up joining the company. And, you know, they started working with us sort of on a, they stayed at their jobs and worked with us on the side. And then once we raised money, they were able to come and join as full-time employees, which was really exciting. But I think, you know, for us, again, not being technical, it was really important that we, we surrounded ourselves with really great people who could, you know, pick us up in the areas where we weren't as strong. Yeah, I love that advice because I think sometimes people think, well, I can't start a technology business because I'm not a programmer. I'm not a coder. I don't understand the backend technology. But the reality is, is if you're solving a problem in the marketplace, you can find the right people to help build that company. And as an investor myself, I've given the advice to people to say, you know, it's not that you necessarily need to go out and, and spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on an agency to help you build this. Like you can get the right people on your team and then just have them essentially jump ship and come join you when you're able to raise that money. So I think that's a really strong way to kind of approach the business. So let's talk a little bit about the raise though. So you raised 1.6 million in a 2021 pre-seed round, as well as $3.5 million this year. So congratulations. That's awesome. Jan, you know, with your background, you know, in finances, with your approach, when you came to the approach to funding for this business, what was some of the things that you wanted to bring to the table? What were you looking for in raising money for the space? And tell us a little bit about the raises in general. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think there's a lot of different things that went into both raises. And I think for both Kobe and I, it was just really first going back to the beginning and aligning on like, how much money did we believe we needed? And what were the strings that were attached to those, that money? I think a lot of people say as they're raising money that, all money is green. And so you take it from where you can get it. And I don't know if Kobe and I had that, that mindset. I think we knew that there's strings that come attached to fundraising. And, you know, we were very, very fortunate to have been in this world for the, you know, call it almost 10 years before we started this company. And so we always say that we were kind of born on third base. We had a really great network in the venture community. We had some great, amazing mentors. Almost every one of our previous bosses or founders invested in our company out with no questions asked as well. And so we kind of came to this being kind of three steps ahead of most people, which I think is really, really fortunate. And it was still really, really challenging. We had hundreds and hundreds of conversations. And what we knew is that we wanted to take money from people that understood us as founders and that believed in us as leaders and would stick with us through the good and the bad. We knew that things weren't always going to be perfect. You were going to have ups and downs. You had the people that believed in us and in our vision enough to trust us to make the right decisions because we know what it's like when you have an investor around the cap table that challenges you or doesn't believe in you. That makes your life so much harder. And so we just made some kind of really serious decisions about what kind of capital we wanted. We wanted around that cap table. And then we started to go after it. We made a really targeted list of people who we wanted to speak to, who do we want for our pre-seed investors, who we want for our seed investors, who we want for our series A investors. And I think the thing that Kobe and I spent a lot of time doing is building relationships. What we knew is we might not want money from one person there. They might not be at a place where they give money this early. But if we can build those relationships over time, once it comes to raising those subsequent rounds of funding, it'll be that much easier for us and for them to make a decision because they know who we are and they're familiar with our business over time. Yeah, definitely. All money is green, but it definitely comes <laughs> yes. with strings attached. I think that's absolutely the right way to kind of think about it, you know, especially, you know, 
being able to raise money to your point, not just as much money as you can, but the money that you actually need to get things done. So for, you know, and you can be a little bit high level about this, but like, where was the focus for the money in the pre-seed round? And where was the focus for the money for this secondary round? Like, was it team technology? Was it marketing, advertising? Like, where were you really seeing the bulk of those uh, raises go to? Yeah, for our pre-seed, I think it was largely like, we needed to build the app. We had a great idea. We had a team that was working for free on our beta, which is what we wanted to get out there in front of people to show people what our vision was because the brand and the product we were creating was so unique and different than it was out there. And so we said, we need to have money to build these things to make that end to end and complete. And so that's where our pre-seed money went. And it went into like, this is what's going to get us to a place where we can hire these people that can help us build the initial version of our app that's actually going to change the way people travel. And then I'd say for our seed round, it's an extension of that. We knew that like once we got to our seed that we build about a quarter of the functionality we wanted. We needed more capital, bigger team. We needed to invest in marketing and customer acquisition and on brand in a real way for us to continue to scale. And so that's where the funds went for this. And it's, you know, we look forward to next year and of series A that the funds and what we do look a little bit different um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to the marketing and the user acquisition, I think this is a really hot question for everyone right now, because with the iOS update, with the changing landscape of TikTok, et cetera, your dollar doesn't go as far. So what have been some of the most successful marketing channels that you guys have really been focusing on to grow your user? Base? Yeah, I think it's a good call out. And I think if we were building a different brand, you know, a D to C apparel or, you know, skincare or whatever, it would definitely be a lot more challenging. I think what's been a bit of a saving grace as it relates to acquisition for us is we're driving downloads. And so some of those iOS changes don't apply to us as much. And so we can get in front of our users and then push downloads and, and track that through branches, the platform we use, and we can see you know how many downloads we get based on branded links that we use, which is really great. And I know, you know, it is definitely more challenging in in different businesses where you're trying to push a sale, e-commerce. And so that's been great. I think the exciting thing for us and probably one of the pieces that got our investors most excited was our organic growth. And so the vast majority of our users come from organic activity. We don't pay for them. And so that is, you know, Jacqueline's going on a trip. She is adding her friend and they're planning their trip and out of office together. Or someone just texted you for your LA, you know, restaurant recommendations. And instead of typing out the same text every single time, you put it all in out of office and then you shared it with them via out of office and they joined as a new user. And so we do a lot of activity in the product that really pushes people to bring their networks along. And so organic growth has been a huge lever for us. And that's really been able, been effective at stabilizing our cost per install, which is what we monitor from an acquisition perspective. And then, you know, we focus a lot on influencer and, you know, other sort of standard pay channels, you know, Facebook, I think TikTok's really compelling. Like James said, you know, travel talk is super interesting. I think TikTok is its own beast. and you. You know, there's a bit of a formula on Instagram stories that that we can sort of rinse and repeat with our influencers or our ads. On TikTok, we can have something go viral and it can totally make our month as it relates to user growth. 
or not. Like, and you just sometimes you have no idea. And I think what's also been interesting to see on TikTok is you could have a TikTok go live and it could sort of perform average. And then, you know, a month or two later, it really picks up steam. And so there's some really interesting behavior on TikTok that we've been leaning into. But again, I would say organic growth is is our biggest lever and we'll continue to really invest in that. Yeah, it's a network effect of being able to share and talk about, you know, travel. It's it, it, luckily it's something that people talk about a lot. So that definitely helps your cause, which is great. So lastly, walk us through the monetization strategy. So if, if I join, you know, out of office, what is the expectation from like a paid perspective day and maybe down the road? Yeah. So right now it's totally free. You can download out of office. You can follow your friends. You can get recommendations. You you don't pay for the app. And there will always be a free version of out of office. And, you know, that's very intentional. I think, you know, it's funny when we first started building this, this brand, we, our first pitch that had, you know, all these different channels for, for revenue. And I think we still think, you know, we get the users and we get engagement and user growth, there will be myriad ways for us to monetize. With that being said, I think we get really excited about, like Jan said, that sort of end-to-end platform. We want you to come to Out of Office. You start daydreaming about a trip and you come to Out of Office. You want a recommendation for where to go to dinner, you come to Out of Office. And then ultimately, we take you all the way through planning and booking And you can do it all in one platform. And so I think, you know, from a monetization, that's how we think about revenue is is through bookings, whether that's you booking yourself or maybe you're getting help with booking. I think there's a couple different ways we can approach it. But, you know, again, the the sort of end-to-end platform is our big vision and, and that's how we intend to monetize. Yep. That makes total sense. Building that community first. So tell me what has been, you know, a trip that you're excited about that you've maybe taken this year or are planning to take next year? That's a great question. I think, you know, I'm going to age myself, but my 40th birthday is in 2023. I know. Yeah. And so I've always wanted to like go with all my friends to an island and just hang out for a weekend. And so I'm planning a trip to Canawan, which is an island off the coast of St. Vincent and Barbados and getting all of my friends to come. And I'm really pumped about it. It's a little awkward yeah. task, but it should be really exciting. So I can't wait. That is iconic. <laughs> I cannot wait to watch this unfold. Amazing. Kobe, what about you? Well, Jan's birthday. I'm definitely <laughs> and taking my kids on spring break to Mexico. And I'm excited for that. They've never been to Mexico. And I think they will love it. They really love that culture. And it's just nice sometimes to have family time when everyone's so busy and my kids are in school and, you know, my husband and I are working. So I look forward to spending some time with my family in Mexico. Amazing. What what part are you going to? We are going to Mayacoba. So right outside uh, Cancun. Amazing. <laughs> Ugh, well, I'm jealous of both of your trips already. So let's wrap with some sentence finishers. Jan, I'm not productive unless my day starts with. That's a great question. I'm probably not productive unless my day starts. I start every day with saying or writing down five things that I'm grateful for. I try to do it. Oh, I, I, I try to do it every day. At least I do it in my head. At the very least, I put notes on my phone, but it's always easy to remember the things that are stressing you out or the things that are like on your to-do list, the the laundry list of things. But I always try to start out with the things that, that I'm really grateful for. Those things change every day. It could literally be like that my dog is still sleeping or it could be that like 
you know, Kobe is there to support me when I had COVID last week. It's little things sometimes that it matter. Ends. Yeah. I love that. Kobe, a non-negotiable for our business is? Ooh, Jan and I come from very sort of customer-facing companies. And so when we were making our sort of mission value and our, our core values for the company, one of them is to give a user a seat at the table. And so I think that's really important to us is making sure as we build this, we have to listen to our users and we have to hear what they're saying and sort of pivot or make changes when we can to really accommodate for their feedback. I love that. Jan, success to me is? I think this is going to sound cheesy, but success is in a journey. I, I don't know how much I think about like what you know a billion dollar exit looks like or what this looks like to, to sell this company or go public. I think for me, and I don't want to speak for Kobe, so much of this is in, are we building the company in the right way? Are we building a team of amazing people? And are we learning a ton along the way? Because I think that, that was what was important to us when we decided to start this company. And I don't think that's going to change over time. That's so true. And lastly, Kobe, the most rewarding thing about being a founder is? I mean, it's kind of what Jan just said, right? It's it's building and learning and going on this journey. But I think, you know, we both appreciate the autonomy and the ability to sort of build this brand and business with our vision in mind. And we have really great investors that sort of allow us to run with our ideas. And they're so helpful, but they they give us that autonomy. And so I think that's something we both appreciate about, about being a founder. Absolutely. That, that's huge. Well, thank you so much, ladies. Can you tell everyone where they can download and learn more about Out of Office? Yes. Download Out of Office in the App Store. Uh, we're just Out of Office or OOO. And you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Take Me Out of Office. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party.